Hey, if you just are joining us, we've been in the middle of a series called Sermon on the Mount where we are going through um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And uh, so today is, we're finally finishing up Matthew chapter 5, and so we've been in that since like June. So uh, say woohoo, we're get, and then we'll move into 7, and we'll see what happens. Hopefully we'll get through this before Christmas. But we've been going through the greatest teachings of Jesus. These teachings are hard when we actually dive deep into them because they're, they're really understatements. They're not the... I mean, he would have taught this everywhere he traveled throughout the different villages. And, uh, and that's why you see different nuances in, in some of the synoptic gospels. You'll see different saying of the same thing, but maybe a little differently. Because he was saying, he would have said this, kind of like today, right? I'll say, I've, I've, I've taught this, this first service, this service, next service. And it, there's just different nuances that come out in every service. So it wasn't like, it, they were just understatements. He wasn't unpacking it. Uh, so we're getting these these highlights, but man, it's, it'll, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to live out these kingdom values that Jesus is teaching. These are his greatest teachings, the compilations of, of kind of the big uh, kingdom values, and it does take the power of the Holy Spirit. And after you get through the Beatitudes, he starts referencing Old Testament scriptures. And what he's doing is he's bringing clarity to them. He's, he's in a lot of ways elevating or I don't want to say adding to it, but he's increasing or raising the standard of what it meant. So he says, you've heard that it was said, but I say, and he's bringing all this clarity. So this is the last statement where he says, you, you have heard. Kind of piggybacks on last week where we talked about eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, where really Jesus was telling us that we're to essentially give up our rights right? That, that we're, we're, we're to let those things go and not demand our way. And so it's kind of, it's kind of continuing on, on that same thought. So if you have your Bibles, we're in verse 43 today. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So he is quoting Leviticus 19, as we, we kind of reference all the quotes every week. He's quoting Leviticus 19. But nowhere in Scripture, in the Old Testament, do we actually see God tell us to hate our enemy. Now, now we see descriptions of it in the Old Testament. Like when David's writing the Psalms, like, you know, you know, I hate what they're doing, I hate them. But that's descriptive. It's not prescriptive in how we're supposed to live. So Jesus actually starts bringing clarity to it, which is what we need. Because um, most commentaries believe that the Pharisees, teachers of the law, and by this time, they, they were giving room in their theology to actually hate people who they're in disagreement with. So he says, you've heard that it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, just as your father is, is perfect. I think we all could probably tell a story about somebody who, who has hurt us. When we're talking about enemy and being persecuted, persecution in the Greek literally meant someone's pursuing you, very hostile towards you. But today I, I want to kind of 
quickly unpack. There, I mean, there is a lot in this scripture, and it probably should take two or three weeks, but we, for the sake of moving the series forward, I just want to unpack these things. What's an, what's, who's our enemy? What is hate? What is love? How do we love? What's the power of love? And what's the destruction of hate? If we can unpack that next 30 minutes, we'll see. Uh, so I, I do want to say this, because often you often say to me, we, we love that you tell a lot of stories, and I do know that stories resonate and kind of help us connect the dots. But except for one story that I want to share, because uh, I felt like the Lord highlighted it in me, I'm, I don't really want to share stories of, of battles I've had with people. Because um, I want to I wanna stay honoring I don't want to ruin people's reputation, even if I don't say names. Uh, so, and I just felt like, because as I was writing this, like, oh, this story would, would fit here. And every time as the Lord said, no, don't tell that story. Don't tell that story. And because I have, have, in my purest moments, I mean, I, I do think all of us, we have that person that, you know, they walk in the room, we hear their voice and you're like, Oh, I do not want to be in a room with them. Okay, someone said amen. She always says amen in the wrong amen parts. <laughs> amen, getting out of the room. Uh, uh, I love you, Suzanne. Uh, here's what enemy means in the Greek. One who is at war. One who, who has been alienated, refuses to be reconciled. This is someone who's who's hostile towards you. Now, I think most of us say, well, I don't, I don't have enemies, but it, it, it's more broader than that. Because he actually talks about, like, just even greeting, like, your own people. Like, so he expands it a little bit to, like, it can be the nuance of someone that just rubs you the wrong way. That, that you don't want to go to the family gathering at Thanksgiving because, you know, Uncle so-and-so. And we're always going to talk about this one political thing. And, it, man, it just gets under your skin. And, and I would think in our culture today... We might not be being persecuted like over uh, on the other side of the globe where people are being killed for their faith. But in our culture, I certainly see us fleshing out this passage of enemies in the political realm. I mean, friends, families just being divided over politics right now. There's, I've never seen so much division in our nation and civil unrest in my lifetime. But I kind of jotted down some things of examples of enemies because this could... Be anyone who's jealous of you or you're jealous of them, right? You feel threatened by them or they feel threatened by you. It could be ideology, could be the issue theologically, politically, culturally, socially, racially. But it's people who offend you, people who've dishonored you, someone who's hurt your feelings. Maybe you had a business partner and, and that you were buddies at that time, best friends. And then, you know, you grew the business or something happened or there was embezzlement or now there's this division and you, you feel wounded by that person. Or maybe someone's ruined your reputation. It could be someone's abandoned you. You know, isn't it interesting? There's a fine line sometimes between love and hate. So when we go through something tragic as a, as a separation or divorce and a marriage, how is it that this person we walked down the aisle with and now years later, it, you know, the, it does feel like irreconcilable differences and now you like despise this person. That's your enemy. Someone who's angered you, disappointed you, frustrated you, threatened you and certainly applies to the worst extreme of being persecuted to the point of Someone wanting to take your life. That is what an enemy. Now, the Greek word hate, it means to detest, but I love this nuance, to love less. 
That, now, doesn't that expand? Because we think hate means like, I want to, I'm a Christian, but I will punch you in the throat. Like, no, no, no. It could be like, you just want to love less. Like, I, you know, I, I, you know, I have to love you because Jesus tells me to, but I don't like you. Right? No, that's the nuance of loving less. Um, to slight or to disregards. But there's some destructive things about hate. And I just want to highlight those quickly. You know, number one, hate actually reduces people to objects who, in our judgment, is unworthy to be loved. It's really hard to love someone you, that you call trash. You know, we, it's easier to create that, that space of, uh, that tension of how God sees them, and then you put your judgment and you label them like, well, they're just a bum, or they, they don't work, or, you know, the, why, why don't they get off those drugs? And, and you know, you, you don't even want to talk to them, or when they do talk to them, you're kind of like irritated by them, or, or you're subversive in the things that you say to them, uh, and you're reducing them to a label, and it's hard to love people that we label. Well, they're a Democrat. Oh, yeah, I said it. They're a Republican. I heard they voted for Donald Trump. Can you believe they voted for Joe Biden? Oh, I'm hitting the buttons. Come on. But it's hard to love them. When we reduce people to the items, we ought to be asking, Lord, how do you see them? Because what hate does, it literally reduces people to an object, to a label, to an ideology, and we miss the image of God in them. And two, it breeds negativity. It impacts us emotionally. Research shows even to the point physically it's impacting you. It's polluting your life. Negativity that, or hate breeds that. First John 2.11 says, Anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness. Now he's talking to Christians. So it's possible to, to be a believer and say, Well, I don't hate anybody because I'm a Christian. That, that, no, you, we can, we're human. Until we get to heaven and we're in that a, a boundless love of the Lord, we all have potential to feel pain to people who's hurt us. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness. Look at this. They do not even know where they're going because darkness has blinded them. What hate does, it incapacitates us to even walk spiritually pure. It says you're just walking around. This is saying to Christians. He's not saying this to unbelievers. He's saying this to believers. If you hate people and you label people and you, and you view them through the lens of, you know, their political ideology or their offense towards you or it, what begins to happen is you no longer have the ability to be able to see you're spiritually blind because it's left unchecked. When we, le when we leave hate and disagreements unchecked, it'll drain your spirit. It'll blind you and tarnish your soul. What do we do? Because Jesus is confronting the idea that if it's justified, you can hate somebody. He says, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is why from, from the very beginning of this series, I, I've shared 
these truths are hard to live out. It will take the power of the Holy Spirit to love our enemies. And when we love our enemies, we are step, when we are loving those who persecute, loving those who see life differently. And listen, after first service, people came up and shared ter- tragic things with me about a, a separation and, you know, I'm signing my divorce papers and uh, to, I, you know, was molested by my father and how do I like I get it there is some deep trauma and it would be embarrassing for me to share you know my enemies based on 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 that that level of pain Jesus is not saying we we don't go through it Jesus is not saying like we're gonna you know go on vacation and become buddies again with these people but he's saying that what we do have to forgive we do have to love we can't stay in that hate because you get you get stuck in the cycle of revenge you start walking around being spiritually blinded and there is a better way but to love your enemy is gonna take the power of the Holy Spirit when you're on that level of trauma so Jesus, tells us to love our enemies. I want to highlight four types of love because this is important. We, we use love, one word, for many things. Making love. There's something to say, I love my children is different from the love that I have towards my wife or the love that I would have towards a friend. So there are Greek words for this. Phileo uh, is a Greek word, one of the Greek words in scriptures. It means brotherly love, brotherly kindness, friendship. You think philanthropy. Right now we have a couple people from our church that are with eight days of hope down in Florida helping with the relief efforts of the hurricane. That comes from this brotherly phileo love. It's to be kind. The other kind of love is, uh, I hope I say this right, I think it's called storgos, storgos. Which means it's the love you have for family, for your spouse, for your children, for your parents. And there's eros, which is where we get our word erotic, so physical intimacy, sensual love. And then there's this word agape love. And this, this is a love that's different than the others because it's not based on feelings. When your brother kind of has a feeling attached to that. There's feelings you, you sense towards your children or your, or your spouse. Um, and even in intimacy, there's feelings with that. But Agape love is a love that comes from God. It's unconditional. It's not attached to emotion. And this is the word that Jesus is using when he says love your enemies. It's, or it's, you know, it's birthed out of that word agape. So agape love is an act of the will. It, it's it's a, an affection that involves choice. So I like to think of it like, because often we want to go off our feelings. Well, I don't, we leave the marriage or we, you know, we make choices based on how we feel. Or, you know, I don't, and when reality is, it's a choice that we make. And think of it like a train, the action and the choice is the engine, the caboose is the feeling. And often, not always, but most of the time, once you act upon your will, you, the feelings will eventually follow. It's a gape love. This is the love that he is talking about. A love, we, we said it this way last week. We love by choice, not by circumstance. Love is an action, and it's something we choose. It's an act of the will, whether I feel like it or not, not based on circumstances. Circumstances says, you did this to me, and I want you to pay up. Or, you know, you need to apologize. You need, and sometimes that stuff is appropriate, but what if it doesn't happen? 
Are we going to get stuck in that place where it's taking up real estate in our mind because we're walking in offense and we're walking in disagreement and hate and unreconciliation? When Jesus says, I want you to step into agape love. Love is a powerful force. Love is the slogan of Christians. If we were to ask, you know this, right? They said, what's the greatest commandment? Church, do you know this? What's the greatest commandment? With all your heart. And the second what? Is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. This, this is what we should be known for. So here's three powerful truths about love. One, agape love will break the cycle of revenge. Agape love will break the cycle of revenge. I have heard stories of Christians being persecuted and telling those who are persecuting them in, in the moment that they're praying for their abductors. And their abductors hear this. And, and they, they want them to denounce Jesus. They, they want them to be mad at them, but they refuse to be mad. They, they're actually breaking the cycle when revenge should be, I'm going to spit in your face because you're spitting in mine. Or, or you know, I, I want you to be killed because you, you're doing this. You, I hate you because you, you've kidnapped me and you're doing this thing. But they actually, because of their love towards their enemy, they actually break the cycle. And these abductors, stories of abductors given their lives to Jesus because of how the persecuted responded through love. Agape love actually breaks the cycle of revenge. Leviticus 19.18 is what Jesus is quoting. That's what most of the commentaries said anyways, which is this. Do not seek revenge. And I love that God adds this other. So, Maybe you're not at that point. It's like where you want to get revenge, but I'm not going to forgive them. You bear a grudge. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against someone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Agape love will break the cycle of revenge. It will get you unstuck from the grudge that you're holding and you're just staying in this cycle, taking up this, this space in your mind, this mental space in, in your mind. Nelson Mandela, I don't ascribe to all his political views. Um, he was in prison by his political opponents for 27 years. I, I can't remember fully. I mean, it was, you know, before my lifetime. But I think, if memory serves me right, I think he tried to overthrow his government. So there might have been some justification for, you know, trying to take over the government. But he was, he was tortured. 27 years, I think, in three different prisons he had been around. And eventually he gets pardoned by the president of South Africa. And he's, he was asked, like, why didn't you want revenge? Why didn't you hate your enemy? Why didn't you hate your political opponents? And here's what he said. Listen to this. He said, if you hate, you give your enemy your heart and your mind. Don't give the enemy those two things. He eventually, he gets pardoned and becomes the president of South Africa and be, became a, a huge advocate of working healing in, in his nation. Love actually breaks the cycle of revenge. Number two, agape love extends forgiveness to our enemy. This is what we want. Agape love extends forgiveness to 
our enemy. The greatest example of agape love is Jesus on the cross. He didn't feel like going, but he chose to. And we are so broken in humanity, he had to do it. But we are so loved by him, he was glad to do it. But this is the extent of an enemy. He's arrested, illegally charged and tried and, and prosecuted. And before he goes to the cross, he's whipped on his back. And if you've ever seen photos of like when photography came out in the 1800s and and they started taking pictures of what was happening um, to the slaves, you see their backs. Like if Jesus would have healed, his back would have looked like that. A crown of thorns placed in his head likely caused his head to swell. I mean, it wasn't like a rose thorn. I mean, they were long thorns to press into his head. Punched, spit upon, ridiculed, teased, mocked. Then they give him a beam, and the weight of it, after he's been beaten severely, like, and a lot of times when Rome whipped you, you died from it, but so he's carrying this bleeding. The, the word we get excruciating comes out of the term crucifixion. It was, it was an excruciating way to die, the most painful way to die. In fact, uh, you couldn't breathe when you hung upon a cross. The way it was designed, there was actually science behind the cross. It was very excruciating, and it was made to collapse your lungs so that if you wanted to take a breath of air, you had to, he had nails through, through his feet and nails through his wrists, and you had to lift yourself to, to get your lungs from being uncollapsed to get a breath of air, and the amount of, of nerves in your wrists and in your feet. So when every breath he took on the cross was painful because he had to feel the nerves of lifting on the metal that had went through his feet and wrist. That's the extent of an enemy. Look what he says. This is one of the seven statements on the cross. Jesus said, Father, it's coming. All right. Thank you. Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. I bet you, your enemy might not even know they're your enemy. She just said that thing the other day. Oh. They don't even know they did it. And I think there's truth in this. They didn't know what they were doing to him. I mean, they knew what the crucifixion was. They knew it was painful. There was something a lot deeper behind that statement. And the pain you're carrying towards other people, they've not hung you to a cross. They've not put a gun to your head. They've not kidnapped you. They've not done traumatic things. They don't even know they've hurt you. The fact that he says this, he has to feel pain to say it. He has to force himself up, take the breath. (gasps) Father, forgive them. This is the picture we're to hold when he's giving us an example of agape love. It breaks. The cross itself is breaking the cycle of revenge. It's not like they got bullets, I'm getting my bullets. 
They got a sword. It's not eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. That's what we talked about last week. No, we Christians break the cycle. We choose to forgive those who have hurt us. We absorb, the cross is absorbing the sin. We choose to absorb the cost. Let me say it another way. Jesus was saying, let them off the hook. What if you, that offense that's come into your life, that pain you're experiencing, what if you just let them off the hook? Ah, but then they're getting away with something. You trust God with the outcome of the judgment. But forgiveness, that's what it is. It's essentially, I let you off the hook. It's a weird way to say it. There's all kinds of Christian ways to say it nicer. But that's what you're doing. I'm going to release you. And look, it doesn't mean that forgiving someone that you have to go, that there's not boundaries. When you have something traumatic, like the woman who shared what happened to her this morning, like, no, you're not going to be buddies with that person. There's got to be boundaries in place, but you can let them off the hook. You can, you can forgive. There, there may be that someone has to go to jail for a crime they committed, but it doesn't mean you have to hate them. My brother-in-law, he died of a fentanyl overdose, but he could have lived. His, his provider, his dealer, he comes out of the bathroom, collapses, and he gets scared. It's January 5th, snowstorm that night. Drives him out in the middle of nowhere, Battle Creek, Michigan. Dumps him off in snowstorm at 12 a.m. Circles back multiple times through the night. Claims he sees him breathing. Let's him freeze to death. I had to watch my wife. As this man is being tried for murder. Uh, delivering a, a, an illegal substance resulting in death was, this, was the, uh, one of multiple things he was prosecuted for. Look him in the eye and say, I, I forgive you. He still went to jail. But now he doesn't hold something in my, it's no longer dominating my wife's mind. To forgive that person that broke your heart, that ruined your reputation, that took that life or stole this from you. You're breaking a cycle of revenge. It opens us up to forgive and to love more deeply. And I'll never forget my wife saying that she's seen God in the man that killed her brother. That's what we mean by don't make people an object. Lord, how do you see this man? How do you see this? How do you see my spouse who cheated on me? How do you, how, how can I see them? And what begins to happen is you begin to have compassion. Not that the marriage does get reconciled. Not that the person doesn't go to jail. Not that there isn't some, some type of payment for what's done. But just to be able to say, I release you and let you off the hook. That's what Jesus does on the cross. That's agape love. The last thought is this. Love will actually open the door towards reconciliation. Love opens the door towards reconciliation. If you remember at Easter, we had three powerful stories told. We kind of used that verse, let the redeemed tell their story. 
Emily Klotz from Cadillac, Michigan, tells her story where she was kidnapped while she was out jogging, taped up, duct tape thrown in a trunk, taken to her doctor's house. You can imagine what happened to her. It did. She sings Amazing Grace while he is harming her. And years later, he was caught and is in prison now. But he gives his heart to Jesus. And then there was this whole reconciliation program between those who've been, you know, raped by their abductors and, and other things, but were forgiveness. And, and they reached out to Emily and said, your abductor, you know, wants to tell you something. And he said, I'm a follower of Jesus because of you. And he intended to take her life. But she sings amazing grace. She said to him when she kidnapped him, are you working for the devil? pierced his heart and as he's you know doing the worst thing that could ever happen to a woman and and she's singing amazing grace to this man Emily and Dan are one of our closest friends I hear her story and to see that it actually opens the door to reckon she does forgive this man and it's a thing that actually strengthened her faith now think about this this is not in my notes But what if the enemy in your life is the very thing that God is going to use to actually strengthen your faith if you'll you'll have agape love towards that person? And what if he doesn't let the issue go until you actually get to the point of of exercising through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the agape love to that person? What if that's the very thing that he's going to use to actually strengthen your faith? Because that abduction was the thing that got her very close to the Lord. She grew up in a Christian home, but she was not a spiritual person. Until she needed Jesus to heal her pain and had to forgive the very man that done the worst thing to her. Agape love. Romans 12 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. This reminds me. My wife was in a motorcycle accident and miraculously lived through it. She should have lost her life. But she's doing awesome, like recovering well. And so someone thought it would be really cute because I'm taking care of her, like, you know, helping her to the bathroom, like this, you know, a lot of vulnerable stuff to take care of her. So feeding her, making meals, like doing laundry. So now I, you know, jokingly say, man, a woman's work is never done. And she chuckles at me. But someone thought it would be cute to get her a bell for me. So it's yellow. It's got a little smiley face on it. And she does use it. She dings the bell, calls me Nurse Mike. And uh, can you, uh, you know, I'm hungry. And so just reading this. She's not my enemy, but I'm like, girl, you're lucky I'm going to feed you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something with that bell. Uh, <laughs> if your enemy is hungry, feed him. <laughs> if she is thirsty <laughs> and ringing the bell, give her something to drink. She's not my aunt. I'm just having fun. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Don't get even, guys. Let him off the hook. Like, but overcome evil with good. 
that's the Jesus way. That's the kingdom way. Yes, they hurt you. Yeah, and you know what? Let's be honest. Nothing they could do could ever actually fix it. My brother-in-law's not coming back. Emily can't undo that event in her life. They're never going to be able to pay you. And even if they did, you still wouldn't fix the soul part of you that hurts because only Jesus could do that. So what he says is overcome evil with good. Thank you, Lord. Love breaks the cycle of revenge. Love extends forgiveness to our enemy and it opens the door towards reconciliation. Three thoughts. I'm not going to teach these because it's practical. How do you do it? Be kind and gracious to those who are at odds with you. I had to spend time this week with people who have said hurt, hurtful, deep, hurtful things to me and about our church, that they are in a moment of grieving. So I loved them. And the embrace they gave me, I knew I'm glad I didn't respond. Because I chose not to in the moment. Do not respond to this. Publicly, Is there something practical you can do for them? You know, when he says greeting your neighbor, like it's a practical thing. The sun rising on the righteous and the unrighteous, the rain coming to the good and the very sun and rain, very practical things. So is there something practical you can do and sincerely pray for them? It is hard to hate somebody you're praying for. Because when you're praying for them, you're going to start seeing the image of God in them. You're going to start seeing the humanity in them. You might get compassion for their own brokenness. You might even get a revelation of why they're behaving the way. And you all of a sudden get this compassion. So it's very simple. So I just want you to close your eyes. And would you ask the Holy Spirit. Can we turn the music up just a little? I feel like music's like glory. Bring the glory in the room on cue. But would you just ask the Holy Spirit, do you have an enemy? Just out of respect, the person around you is with your eyes closed. Do you have an enemy? I think some of you are right now are even being surprised. Whoa. I didn't know that moment cut so deep. You wouldn't, you wouldn't probably not use the word enemy. It's just a disagreement or a thing or happening. Now just pray for that moment, that person. Holy Spirit, however you're highlighting in the hearts of your people right now, that family member, that coworker, that friend, Holy Spirit, we pray for them. Father, empower your people, followers of Jesus, to live out our faith where we love well, 
Father, where we will love by choice and not by circumstances. Empower us through your Holy Spirit to see people the way you see it, see them. Father, help us to break the cycle of revenge. Father, help us to really extend forgiveness, to let them off the hook, Father, and trust you with the judgment we feel like they deserve. Come, Lord. Empower your people today. In Jesus' name.